And good evening from Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to this live edition of the Carolina Weather Group. It is February 17th, 2021. I'm James Briarton. We've got a full panel, lots of guests, and lots to get to. It's been a very busy week already here in the Carolinas, and it's only going to get busier. We've got another ice threat that is moving into the region and will be leaving some of us, unfortunately, without power and heat again tomorrow morning. We're also going to be showing you new heartbreaking video out of Brunswick, North Carolina, after that impressive, devastating, powerful EF3 tornado that struck there in the middle of the night earlier in this week. You're going to hear from two folks who rode out the storm in their home. Their inspirational and yet heartbreaking story is coming your way all in this very jam-packed live edition of the Carolina Weather Group. So we've got another ice storm coming. Those of you who live in the triad already know that the impacts that can be left by any amount of ice. We have winter storm warnings up for a huge portion of North Carolina. We have winter weather advisories up for where I sit here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you're going to hear our, our, our group today remind you that a winter storm advisory or winter weather advisory is not any sort of demotion. That just means that impacts will be a little less than they will be in the areas in pink now on your screen where those warnings stretch from the Tennessee line all through the triad and into the triangle. And in the purple, those are the winter weather advisories. Upstate South Carolina, Mecklenburg County, Raleigh, Rocky Mount right on the edge. And so let's get right on over to meteorologist Frank Strait. As we begin here, we're looking at uh, visible satellite pictures from late Wednesday showing uh, the storm that will be affecting us uh, in the coming uh, 24 to 36 hours, now pushing through the Mississippi Valley and northern Gulf of Mexico. This uh, working with some very cold air that's in place over the nation's midsection. You may have heard it's been extremely cold over the nation's midsection with sub-zero temperatures as far south as uh, the northern part of Texas uh, in recent days. And a lot of snow and ice has been falling there. Coldest I've seen, there have probably been some spots that got colder, but the coldest I've seen is International Falls. A few days ago had a low of 42 below. Now that's a pretty serious cold. It's the coldest they've seen in a long time. This storm is heading eastward, and uh, with this chilly air filtering into the Carolinas, we've escaped the worst of it so far, but uh, we're going to get enough of it again to deal with some uh, icing problems here, mostly in western and central North Carolina, over the next uh, 24 to 36 hours. So we'll look at some models here. This is uh, the high-res rapid refresh, the HER model, and uh, we'll see this uh, at the current time roughly here as uh, with the storm pushing through the middle Mississippi Valley. And as I advance forward in time, uh, you'll see the storm heading eastward, and you'll see the icy conditions spreading across, again, mostly North Carolina. Northern fringe of South Carolina can get in on the action in uh, Oconee, Pickens, Greenville, and Spartanburg counties, maybe sneaking into Cherokee and York County, too. Uh, but the worst of this is by far going to be in North Carolina, where uh, the usual suspect areas... Uh, the uh, Blue Ridge, uh, northern part of the Blue Ridge, especially into the northern foothills and over toward the Triad, have the potential to see a serious ice storm out of this. Now, this model, uh, the 20Z run, only goes out to about 10 a.m. on Thursday. So let's switch to the 3-kilometer NAM. And the correct plot of it here from the 18Z run, uh, Wednesday from the 3-kilometer uh, NAM. Again, same start time, and we'll advance this forward. And uh, you'll see, again, the uh, ice the freezing rain and sleet spreading into uh, western and central North Carolina mostly, and even over toward uh, the uh, Triangle, Raleigh-Durham area. And uh, as we head through the late day hours of Thursday, starting to uh, get out of the area, but even into Thursday night along the North Carolina-Virginia line, that uh, icy conditions uh, can uh, continue until the storm finally does move out with temperatures hanging near freezing. Uh, it looks like there might be a little bit of northwest flow snow uh, along the North Carolina-Tennessee line in the wake of this storm. Probably not a lot of it. Uh, high spots get an inch or two. It just flurries elsewhere in western North Carolina. And then as we go into Friday, the storm moves out and uh, the chillier air uh, starts to uh, press in in earnest there. So uh, that's the way it looks. Let's look at the National Weather Service forecast, and uh, what I've shown you so far came from tropicaltidbits.com. Uh, we'll switch over to uh, the good folks at pivotalweather.com with their plot of the National Weather Service forecast. What we're looking at here is ice accumulation uh, for our upcoming storm, and it looks to be uh, pretty substantial in some areas. The ice extending as far south as perhaps the Charlotte area. I can see it going a little farther south than this, actually, at least for a time, but it will only be uh, 
a slight light glaze here, but enough that there can be some icy patches on uh, the uh, elevated road surfaces. And again, that may extend all the way into uh, the northern part of York County, Cherokee County, and uh, areas along and north of I-85 uh, farther west in upstate South Carolina. But by far the worst of it goes into North Carolina. Mountains uh, look to get enough ice accumulation to at least cause some travel problems, especially on those elevated road surfaces and out into the foothills in Piedmont. Uh, the potential's there thanks to a deeper and longer-lasting cold layer uh, that uh, the ice could be pretty significant. You see uh, some areas uh, up around a half inch of ice accumulation, according to the National Weather Service here. And uh, hopefully it doesn't get any worse than that. It's going to be a close call in this area as to whether we're seeing uh, freezing rain or sleet uh, for a lot of this storm. There is some chance that we escape this uh, really bad uh, icing situation here uh, if we end up with a deep enough and cold enough layer uh, here that uh, we end up getting more sleet than forecast. There's a chance that happens, but don't count on it. Uh, prepare for a, a major ice storm in this area. Half inch of ice accumulation uh, would be a major ice storm that will cause uh, some widespread tree and power line damage in addition to the travel problems that you'll get out of this. And uh, if we end up with those widespread power outages, just the sheer volume of, uh, of tree and power line damage could result in the power being out for a long time. All right, here's a look at our full panel. Let's get on into it as we continue to look at some of your questions and comments coming into our live chat as well, too. Uh, Jordan, why don't you uh, take it in and talk with Christian Morgan here about the impacts we could expect in the triad. Sounds great. Thanks, James. Um, so, so hello, everybody. This is Jordan McLeod, a panelist with the Carolina Weather Group. And I'm going to talk here with uh, WFMY uh, News 2 meteorologist Christian Morgan, uh, stationed in Greensboro, about some of the impacts and uh, timing that we can expect with this impending winter storm. So uh, how are you, Christian? Hey, Jordan, doing great. Hope you guys are. A pleasure to be with you guys on the Carolina Weather Group tonight. We always have a great time. Of course, in this situation, uh, we're talking about what could be a, a pretty dangerous storm for us folks here in the triad. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you joining us uh, tonight. I know you're busy there at the office, but um, can you talk to our viewers a little bit about, I guess we'll start with timing of the storm. When, when can we expect the freezing rain to move in and, and when uh, should we expect it to terminate later on tomorrow? Sure. Well, you know, really Wednesday has actually been a, a pretty really nice looking winter day across the triad. At, at this point today, you know, we have beautiful Carolina blue sky. There was barely even any clouds in, in the sky. So you'd never know that an ice storm was just on the heels of today, but we're going to remain dry through about midnight. And then what we're going to see is we're going to see that moisture start to move in. Generally between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. Is, is that main time frame that we're watching for things to start to begin in the triad. And then really it, it lasts for several hours through morning, through midday, and maybe up even into 1, 2 o'clock before things warm up just enough to change us over to just that cold rain. Again, really all dependent on, on when we warm up. If we stay below freezing, you know, we really mentioned in, in a situation like this, whether you're 29 degrees, 30 degrees, 31 degrees, or if you're 33 degrees, all of those things are going to make a lot of difference in this situation of how long we hold that freezing rain concern and when it changes over to just a cold, nasty rain. But really watching it starting between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. and then lingering through one or two in the afternoon, maybe even later than that if we um, hold on to some of that colder air. Yeah, and so I've seen some of the uh, from the National Weather Service looking at anywhere from a third to as much as half an inch or more, just depending on what you know model or set of models you look at. What's the latest thinking at WFMY? Yeah, so really we're just kind of watching, and this you know we just had this is going to be our second ice storm in a week here in the triad. Um, so we're not even really 100% done cleaning up from that one. And this one on the heels uh, that's on our way tonight and tomorrow, not only looks to be more significant uh, with, as far as the icing totals go, it looks like it's going to cover a much larger area. So a whole lot more people than that Saturday storm did. And generally thinking around a quarter to even possibly a half of an inch of ice on the higher end, um, generally right along and north of that I-40 corridor. And even as far south as places like Asheboro and Lexington and Thomasville, once you get below Asheboro and you head south, generally just kind of a, a minor glaze in our southernmost counties like Montgomery County, Stanley County, Moore County, those areas. But as you go up into Randolph County, 
that's when we start to see the, that tenth of an inch um, mark starting to creep in and maybe even up to a quarter of an inch if you go into northern Randolph County right before you cross into Guilford. So, you know, this is going to affect a lot of different people, generally pretty much the entire triad. So if you think about uh, some of our main cities, Greensboro, Winston, High Point, Burlington, uh, you go up into Rockingham and Stokes County, um, those areas are, are going to see that quarter to possibly even a half of an inch of ice. And really that's all dependent on how long our temperatures stay at freezing. That's one thing we've been talking about. You know, we could warm up to 33 around lunchtime, or it may take until the early afternoon, or really worst case scenario, it may take until Friday morning for us to come above freezing. So a lot of these totals are really dependent on that. And of course, one thing that we've been talking about, and we can dive into detail um, on this a little bit later if we have time, but we're really kind of looking at the, at the precip rates about how fast that this rain is going to fall. And that can actually make a difference. If it comes down lighter, it can actually accumulate um, a whole lot better versus if it's raining hard and coming down at a faster rate, that actually doesn't accumulate as fast and actually just kind of helps to melt things in a way. We're kind of getting off in the in the weeds there, but if we want to come back and talk about that, we can. But generally, quarter to possibly even a half, half of an inch of ice in the triad. Yeah, it's it's shaping up to be a pretty devastating event. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that we're just coming off the heels of one uh, this past weekend, which, you know, downed a lot of trees and, and some of those fell onto power lines. So what kind of, what other kinds of impacts do you perceive for this event? I mean, obviously power outages is going to be sure. probably the headliner, but um, what about roads as well? Are we anticipating any road issues? That's a really good question. And it's a question that we've actually gotten a lot uh, over the last 24 hours. You know, how are the roads going to be? How are the bridges going to be? And if this past weekend is really in any indication the roads themselves shouldn't actually be too much of a problem, mainly staying wet. Another factor that, you know, we were looking at soil temperatures earlier and soil temperatures in the area are in the 40s. Uh, we're in the 40s today, so relatively warm. So you think about roads, asphalt especially, it has that layer of ground to keep things a little bit warmer. So we don't expect there to be too many problems on main roadways where you start to see some issues. Um, of course, those bridges are going to get slick really quick um, and those elevated roadways and really concrete interstates. Those things are going to become slick a whole lot quicker, um, you know, than just your regular roadways would be. But it's not even the fact that the roads may be slick or may not be. It's really kind of the the worry of falling trees. You know, you get this ice to start to accumulate and the branches bend and break. You could be driving down the road and, you know, it, it, it very well can happen where trees can fall in the roadway and trees have fallen on cars and have killed people before. So that's really kind of when we talk about travel and we talk about road issues, that's really one of the things that we're driving home. I really think once this freezing rain concern is over, when we're just a cold, nasty rain, the roads really aren't going to have too many problems. There will likely still be some slick spots on bridges, but then you still have that factor where you have to worry about falling trees and falling power lines in the roadway. So that's that's more the concern when we're speaking about roads rather than the roads being coated you know, with a sheet of ice um, as opposed to a, a snow or a sleet storm. Great info. Uh, Frank Strait, one of our other panelists here at Carolina Weather Group, has a question for you. Sure. Yes, Christian, uh, that actually sleet is uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I was looking at model uh, output earlier today. I was I thought that we were at least in the triad and areas just north and west that we were really close to maybe uh, escaping the worst of the ice or the worst possible ice by ended up by ending up having some sleep. But I know you've looked at it in more detail than I have, at least for that particular area. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Is, is there any chance that we end up with just enough of a near surface cold layer that's just cold enough and just deep enough that we uh, can maybe get lucky and dodge a bullet and escape with a little more in the way of sleep and a little less in the way of freezing rain? That would be best case scenario um, that we get away with some sleep because, you know, once you get that sleep coming down, that really is going to cut down on the freezing on the freezing rain totals. And then again, that helps us out a lot. You know, freezing rain doesn't stack on and um, I mean, excuse me, sleep doesn't stack on and build and accumulate and get thick like the freezing rain would. So that would be our hope that we see at least some period of sleep. I think that would be mainly in for our northern counties, you know, up along um, Rockingham County, Stokes County, and up along the North Carolina-Virginia border. That's where that there's going to be a better chance for that to happen. Although at the onset of this tonight, um, there's going to be some, some evaporative cooling going on. And a lot of times in those situations, when it happens at a fast rate, you can get that that sleet to start. So this may actually start as, as a period of sleet or a sleet and freezing rain mix. Um, so again, if there's any sleep, that would help us out a lot. Um, 
I think it's just going to be a touch and go situation and, and we'll have to find out how much, um, you know, how much and how fast that column can cool when, when the precip comes in and how much evaporative cooling we do. All right. Well, Christian, we really appreciate your insight here for the try. This is really helpful. And um, I guess with that, I'll toss it back over to James. Yes, uh, thank you uh, so much for, for that. There's going to be several factors that will uh, be involved in determining exactly how much ice falls versus how much sleet and freezing rain. Let's go ahead and pop uh, this graphic up on the screen here real fast and show people, again, the difference types of precipitation. You're going to be hearing a lot about that in this show tonight. Straight liquid above 32 degrees in all layers of the atmosphere. That's rain. But then the atmosphere is like a cake with layers uh, where the temperatures are not always the same. Most of the time they're not. And so freezing rain is where you have rain falling as liquid and then it hits the surface right here at the very end and freezes on contact. And, and that's kind of our worst case scenario is Christian was just mentioning if we manage to get some sleet and it's not going to stack up, it's not going to accrete or accumulate in the same way. And then of course we have snow, uh, which is frozen throughout that entire core. But uh, for winter lovers, I'm tired to tell you that we're not getting really much in the way of snow uh, with this event. It's really the ice. And I feel like it's also a good time to throw out the disclaimer that when we're talking about snowstorms, we're normally talking inches. Here we're talking tenths, quarters of inches, but that's all you need because ice is a, a very impactful uh, form of, of liquid and precipitation, and you don't need a whole lot of it before you start encountering some problems. One of those areas that could see quite a bit of this is up in the foothills of Western North Carolina. That's where our panelist, Scotty Powell, joins us now. We're also going to be bringing in Chief Meteorologist Brad Penovich from WCNC Charlotte, who's watching Morganton, where Scotty is, and throughout the greater Charlotte area. So, uh, Scotty, why don't you take it from here? Yeah, thank you, James. And Brad, it seems like we always meet on these calls and it's uh, the dividing line of the haves and the have-nots. And unfortunately, that always uh, drapes across the uh, the Charlotte area. And so let's talk about what we're expecting. Uh, the Mountain Foothills community look to be icy down where you are in the Charlotte area is kind of a toss-up. So uh, what's your uh, latest expectations for uh, the Charlotte area and to the uh, Piedmont Foothills and Mountains? Yeah, I, I'm looking at a lot of the data tonight. That's why I'm kind of distracted here. <laughs> looking at some sounding data um, and, you know, some new data tonight showing some milder air moving in. And, um, you know, the thing about ice that I'm always fascinated about is all these thermodynamic processes going on of latent heat release. And as, as Christian mentioned, heavy rain bringing the warm nose, warm air closer to the surface. I mean, there's all these tiny little things that make big differences. So tonight, for instance, I'm looking at the, 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 you know, the high resolution rapid refresh model. And just to give you a, like, you know, James is doing a great job talking about the layers, you know, for Charlotte at eight o'clock tomorrow morning at about, I'm looking at 5,265 feet, the temperature is going to be 48 degrees. <laughs> okay. When you get down to about 1,900 feet, the temperature is about 28 degrees. And then down at the surface, it's about 33, 34 degrees. So just within the lowest 5,000 feet of the atmosphere tomorrow, we're going to go from almost 50 to below freezing to back above freezing. Um, and what that does is it makes for chaos because elevation and elevated surfaces versus ground level is very important. I don't think the roads will be bad at all tomorrow in our region because one, the ground is very warm. We're probably going to have marginal temperatures near the surface, but we're going to have this cold air just above the ground, which means uh, tree branches and power lines and elevated surfaces could have a glaze of ice on them. Um, and that could still cause some issues tomorrow across the area. But up in your neck of the woods, Scotty, um, and you know, this is this is where local knowledge is king because the guidance will never do a good job of this. Um, the cold air just holds on to those nooks and crannies up against the Blue Ridge Mountains. And then you get the added lift of a little bit of an east or northeast wind that hits the mountain and lifts it up and causes some additional cooling. The cold air can get locked in there for an extended period of time. And when you look at the rainfall uh, rates, or in this case, the QPF, it, we're not talking about light amount of precipitation. It could be pretty significant. So I really worry about those locations north of I-40 in our viewing area, 
um, which is Morganton, Lenore, Hickory, Statesville, um, and up into the Yakin Valley, like the Wilkesboro area, <laughs> um, Eastern Watauga, and Ash County, which is why I, I actually forecast all the way up to the Virginia border, like um, Christian does, way into Virginia. There's a few areas up there where I'm seeing, you know, the the, the winter severity um, index from WPC has extreme impacts up in that area because of the amount of icing we expect up there. So it will be very fascinating to see the differences across our viewing area from south to north. Um, and just to put in perspective, I. Um, I love that Sid's on here tonight because he can talk about this. I, one thing I know is the power guys, when they're getting taken storm seriously, it's a big deal. <laughs> um, Duke Power estimates 1 million outages in North Carolina. Um, they're not doing that just for the heck of it. They're, they, they know <laughs> their system better than anybody. So they are preparing for 1 million outages. And to put that in perspective, Hugo, 700,000 outages here. Uh, Hurricane Matthew, 1.5, Florence, 1.4, but the 2002 December ice storm, 1.8 million outages here, which is still our biggest outage storm of all time and was my first week in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> so I remember it well. I had power because I was in a hotel with a generator and everybody at my station didn't have power in their home. So um, these ice storms are the real deal. And so, Brad, like you were talking about, is, is really that Interstate 40 corridor in north um, that's expecting to see, uh, you know, the possibility of seeing the worst icing conditions in, in the Charlotte area. Um, also, as you know, uh, as we all know, it's been pretty wet around here. I mean, we had three, four inches of rain over the last week from, from just wave after wave of precipitation moving in. You go back to last year, uh, wettest year on record for some locations like Hickory and Morganton, Lenore, places like that. So even if we don't see the half an inch, three quarters of an inch of ice, you know, a, a quarter or a fourth of an inch of ice, a quarter of an inch of ice could still cause some issues with, with trees and power lines just because of saturated soil. Yeah, we have a, we have a little bit of a of, it's not a, a true barrier jet that develops tomorrow, which is a northeast wind against the mountains. It sometimes pulls in the cold air, but there's gusts about 30, 35 miles per hour um, out of the northeast tomorrow morning at the same time the heavy precip moves in. So I, I even think in Charlotte, we may get a glaze to a tenth, but just a little bit of ice with a 30 mile an hour wind and wet soil, probably going to bring trees down. And the one thing about Charlotte, I tell you, uh, we get a slight breeze here. We get trees falling all the time. <laughs> we have so many big trees here. It takes very little to bring our trees down. So I agree, Scotty. I think um, it may not take as much ice with these other factors. And that's often the case in a lot of these winter storms. I think we focus sometimes on one factor. It's usually a combination. It's a, it's a pylon effect of two or three things that contribute to this. Um, and I think that's what we'll have to watch out for tomorrow because I think that wind and wet soil is something not to discount because it certainly could have a big impact on some of these trees. And lastly, before, before we, uh, we toss back to James is we're looking at the threat of, of some heavy rain and um, not all of this will, will be ice. Some of it's going to run off. We've had a lot of rain here. There's also some flooding concerns for some areas in, in, in and around Charlotte. Yeah, you want to talk about a fun weather map to show someone? Winter storm warning, winter weather advisory, next county over flood watch. <laughs> so, um, and I saw, I think it was in Mississippi today, I saw sleet and freezing rain falling with a flash flood warning at the same time. It was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. So, um, yeah, we've got these flood watches up just outside of the, yeah, the, James is bringing it up. Thanks, James. You can see we've got flood watches overlapping winter weather advisories um, and up against the winter storm warning. So, the runoff will be pretty impressive because we had that convection the other night, the thunderstorms came through and that dumped a quick inch, inch, inch and a half. We had some flash flooding and some flood advisories in the Metro. The thing about the winter time in rainfall, because all the vegetation is dormant, because evaporation rates are so low and because the sun angle is so low, you get massive runoff. You get a, a lot more flooding in the winter time, and it takes longer for the soil to dry out. You know, someone joked with me today, I don't want to hear you say the word drought. And I said, I won't say the drought this winter, but we get into spring and summer. You get sun and 80 degrees for a week. Things dry out much quicker uh, than they do in the winter time when it's 50 and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of dreary out and you don't get a lot of the uh, evaporation and the vegetation using up the grass. The trees aren't using any of this moisture. It's just sitting in the soil right now. 
Yeah, so lots of lots of issues to watch here, and Brad, we know you'll you'll keep us covered here in the mountains and foothills and Piedmont. So, uh, James, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Scotty, Brad, thank you so much. We'll have more from Brad's fellow meteorologist colleague, Chris Mulcahy, coming up in a little bit. Uh, Chris is going to be uh, showcasing for us what you can be doing tonight at home to prepare. Let's hit a little bit more now on that flooding threat and even a bit of a severe weather threat uh, far enough south from all of this winter weather. Let's head back over to Frank. Now, uh, there are a couple of other aspects of the storm we need to deal with outside of the winter storm situation. Uh, note, as I switch to the Weather Service's uh, hazard plot here, there are some green areas. These are flash flood watches that are out for the Midlands and CSRA in South Carolina. And for a lot of the eastern North Carolina, that's because there's going to be a good soaking rain. For example, the NAM, uh, three kilometer NAM plot here is showing uh, a swath of uh, two inches or more through that area. And that can be enough to cause some flooding. So uh, if you live in a flood prone area, watch out there. And then south and east from there, there's some severe storm potential. Marginal risk out for the uh, Carolina coastal plain up to the Wilmington area, and even a slight risk for parts of the low country of South Carolina. Isolated damaging winds from any thunderstorm in this area can't rule out an isolated tornado or two, especially down south uh, toward Hilton Head. So will y'all keep that in mind for your Thursday afternoon and night as those thunderstorms move through? Problems. Certainly lots happening. Lots of things to talk about. We could do a thousand shows here tonight, and uh, we're going to continue to give you this uh, holistic view, talking more now about power outages. Let's bring in our own panelists, uh, Zach and Evan, who are going to take on this next part of the show. Uh, Evan, why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, thank you, James. So everyone, I'm Evan Fisher with the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, we've got Sid Sperry here with us. Uh, Sid is a good friend of the show, known for a few years now, um, and he is an expert in all things ice and power. Uh, he may be out in Oklahoma, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have some good insights to give us here in the Carolinas. Um, Sid, one thing that's been going through my mind as we've been chatting with Brad Panovich and Christian Morgan, amongst others, um, is the the wind that's going to kick up tomorrow morning. Um, we've talked about how wind can blow trees over, obviously weighted trees to ice. But I remember when you were last on the show, you talked about galloping in, um, in power lines with ice on them. Can you expand on that a little bit and how that could be? Uh, an issue? Sure, Evan. Um, wind is a, a critical part of the index, this B index that we put together many years ago. Um, the, the thing that folks don't realize about wind and power lines is when you have a, uh, when you have wind, and, and by the way, we only use sustained winds uh, in the index. We do not use wind gusts. So the forecasts are for what we look at are the, the sustained wind speeds, because when you have that continuous airflow over a conductor, as that conductor builds up um, mass, as the ice begins to accrete on the conductor, the airflow over that conductor is just like um, an airplane taking off. The, the conductor will begin to rise and fall. So for a, what we would call a three-phase line, where you have actually four conductors there, um, it's not uniform. It's, it's not uh, in harmony with each other. So eventually you, you get this rise and fall, if you will, of, of the conductors and it causes a, uh, an imbalance. So it's not always the weight, if you will, of the ice that is a concern. It, it is the galloping that can, uh, can occur because with power line structures, there are typically cross arms on a pole. And once that galloping starts, it puts a twist to uh, that whole upper structure, upper part of the, uh, the pole that may have the cross arms on it. And uh, eventually, over a matter of minutes, uh, that cross arm bolt will break and the whole thing just falls to the ground. So uh, in big ice storms where there's a lot of accumulation, uh, we've seen pictures before. I know I've shared the last time I was on of a two and a half inch radial, which is roughly five inches of ice on a line there, you see a, a picture, but uh, that's not gonna gallop too much right there. It's just pure weight. But in other situations where you may not have quite as much ice, but you have uh, enough surface area that begins to catch the wind, you'll get that galloping and, and it can cause a lot of damage too. Said, what can some folks do to prepare for power outages? We've talked about that the, the fact that they're impending, but what can folks do? 
Well, obviously, if they have a generator, I would want to uh, make sure that that thing is oiled up, gassed up, whatever the case might be, and, and obviously have all the safety provisions in place um, uh, for operating your generator. Um, I would want to have uh, uh, the ability to have food, and obviously this uh, this could go. If I'm if I'm looking at some of the amounts right, and I don't know if uh, we can pull up a couple of graphics. We use NDFD data, and I'm looking at uh, in parts of northern, and you guys know the, the Carolina is much better than I do, obviously, but uh, northern and northwestern sections of uh, the Carolinas, I'm looking at NDFD data right now that says up to almost nine-tenths of an inch ice max in the grid, and that's, uh, that's significant. That's, that's a lot of ice, and if there's any wind associated with that, the index would take that into play. And late this afternoon, uh, when the latest NDFD runs came out, I began to see some what we call level four on the index showing up in northwestern um, Carolina and in south central Virginia. It's never a good sign. Level three is when we start to see things get really bad. Level four is when it goes downhill uh, from there. So um, stockpile any food that you can. It could be a long duration outage. I would want some kind of alternate form of heat if at all possible, because this could be not just a one or two day event. Uh, it's very possible that there could be some areas that this could go for a week or more. And that's, that's just not a good thing. Absolutely. Well, well thank you, Sid. Uh, we do have panelist Zachary Moss, um, I know he's having some connection issues, but he was going to get in on a question. Let's see if he's got a delay. Zach? Hey, Sid. Uh, this is Zachary Moss uh, from Asheville. Uh, sorry for the poor connection, but um, so since we're talking about uh, the severity of these uh, ice threats, um, I was just curious, can you describe It's suspenseful. Zach, <laughs> why don't you finish that question? We lost you about halfway through. We were asking Sid to describe something. No problem. Sorry about that. Um, I was curious, Sid, if you could describe uh, the requirements for an ice storm warning or watch. Well, I, I actually had a conversation with Steve Piltz uh, the other day about, about this. And there are actually places, I believe, up in the Northeast Brad Nate may know about this, but generally speaking, the National Weather Service criteria for issuing an ice storm warning, I believe, is a quarter inch of ice, if I'm not mistaken. But Steve tells me that there are places up in the New England states, I guess, where it may be a little bit uh, more than that. So, um, but generally speaking, uh, I believe it's a quarter of an inch of ice. And in this case, uh, there are certainly going to be areas, large areas, I believe, of uh, North Carolina and into Virginia, where a quarter inch of ice, I hate to say this, could be the minimum, and, and there could be more uh, than just a quarter inch of ice. So certainly validation of the issuance of a ice storm warning. Hey, Sid, I got one more question for you. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about Duke Energy. Brad was uh, being prepared for this. I know, you know, part of your job is to inform uh, these power companies and these kind of groups of, of, of power companies. Uh, what What is that like? What are they looking for? What information are they looking for? What does a, a deployment look like for a power company? Uh, I know, as, as everyone else watching the show tonight, uh, we, we have major issues throughout the country right now with, with lack of power in the Midwest uh, or the Great Plains down into Texas. There's ice in Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana. So there's a lot of resources needed right now in the power field. Uh, excuse my pun there. But uh, what, what is it like uh, seeing these, uh, these companies uh, deploying folks out? I know Florida I think Christian uh, WFMY reported that Florida was sending up 1,200 crews, uh, 1,200 folks up from uh, Duke Energy to help out. But what is that like trying to get everything together and getting these folks into where people need help at? Well, in, in co-op world, which I work primarily with cooperatives, but I do work with some investor-owned utilities uh, as well and municipal utilities, but we call it mutual aid. And uh, for the last 
gosh, for the last six days, eight days, I guess, uh, I've been in on conversations every morning with uh, storm coordinators from about 26 different states. Most of those are east of the Mississippi, but then we have uh, participants from Nebraska, Oklahoma, uh, Texas, Arkansas. Um, but what they're looking at is, number one, the safest way to move crews ahead of the storm, uh, if they can, and get them located uh, in an area where they think could be the hardest hit. We call it pre-staging. Um, that's why it's, it's absolutely critical. If, if you miss out on pre-staging, uh, you're going to miss out on hotel rooms that might be available. They're gone. Um, so you look for places that you can shelter your crews, have a warm place for them to, to stay and be ready to go every day. But typically, you try to make those moves at a minimum of 36 to 48 hours in advance. It's still possible to get your crews moved at the closer end you get, but your preference would be to have your crews driving on uh, no snowpack or no ice-covered roads. You want to move them there safely so that they're ready to go and do their, their work. I, I can tell you in this particular event um, that's already hit in Kentucky and Virginia got it. I think you guys got it too a few days ago. Um, there have been crews from Florida, from Georgia, from South Carolina, uh, then coming down from as far away as New Hampshire and Michigan and Illinois, making their way into North Carolina and Virginia to help restore power. So hopefully they're there, they're ready to go. And uh, um, But these things also take time. One thing I will point out, uh, you mentioned how much moisture you, you've already had and how saturated the ground is. Not only does that mean excessive tree damage with, with whole trees literally falling through power lines, but also think of the work that, and the types of vehicles that those utility crews are going to have to bring in, uh, not only four-wheel drive, but skids and, and those kinds of things, just to simply get to the power poles and get them back up uh, once they're broken and down. So it's a Herculean effort that's going to be made uh, over the next several days, possibly even the next couple of weeks. All right, Sid, I appreciate that insight. I'll take it from here. Uh, you know, we're going to have to be watching very carefully, as you mentioned, uh, the impacts that this ice brings to the infrastructure, to, to power. And I think, Sid, you hit the nail on the head when you referenced the uh, devastation and the hardship we're seeing in places like Texas. And we're going to have to watch here for folks in the Carolinas who might have prolonged outages as well, too. And uh, I think that's a, a perfect segue uh, to our next piece of tape, which comes from meteorologist Chris Mulcahy of WCNC Charlotte. He's talking about the things that you can do today to make sure that you're prepared when you wake up tomorrow morning. Accumulating ice has been a major story to our west, but now it's the Carolinas turn where these roads and these sidewalks could be an icy mess come Thursday morning. Here's what you need to know to prepare. First, you should have plenty of gas. If you're out this evening, gas up the car. But just because you have the gas doesn't mean you should be driving tomorrow morning. Also, those tires should be full. Every 10 degrees we drop, we lose one to two PSI in your tires, and the lower tire pressure means less control on the road. Make sure your phone is charged or you have a backup charger because a lot of us could lose power and you always want to keep a line of communication just in case of emergency. Also, a first aid kit and an emergency supply kit should be at the ready for all Mother Nature's tricks. And know where a flashlight is. One quick tip. Make sure that your freezer and refrigerator are on their coldest settings. You want to be as cold as possible in here in case the power goes out, but only open it if you absolutely have to. Check your carbon monoxide detectors. Make sure the backup batteries are good to go, and you should do the same for your smoke detectors. So again, don't drive if you don't have to, and watch for any low-hanging branches as the ice will be accumulating Thursday morning. Wishing you all stay safe. I'm meteorologist Chris Mulcahy with WCNC Charlotte. <laughs> And thank you to WCNC Charlotte for sharing that report with us. You can check out Chris Mulcahy, Larry Sprinkle, 
starting tomorrow morning at 4.30 a.m. on Wake Up Charlotte. And then uh, Brad will get probably about five minutes of sleep and then be back on television at, at some point. Too. He's, he's chuckling because he knows it's so true. Uh, we were getting a little excited as we were. It's also in. normal for him, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't sleep. What is sleep? Uh, Frank, I understand uh, you have some breaking news for us. Yes, breaking news. Uh, we have our first imping report of frozen precipitation in the, in the Carolinas. This uh, from the far southwest quarter of Cherokee County. In fact, if you went only a few miles farther west, you'd be in Tennessee. Uh, this is uh, near uh, Culberson. We have a report of some sleet with uh, that first uh, little batch of uh, radar returns moving into western North Carolina now. All right. So it is it is coming. It is on its way. And at this point forecasting is almost done and we're soon going to be moving into a now casting scenario especially by the time you wake up tomorrow morning uh and as chris just mentioned you want to continue to make your preparations tonight before bed charge whatever you need to charge you want to grab things like flashlights you want to grab things like radios uh so that in case you need them in the middle of the night you have them and of course extra blankets because i i I think too many of us, and I'm, I'm outing myself here, only rely on electric heat. And in the event of a prolonged power outage, that's going to be a problem uh, as uh, we will be looking to uh, find alternative heat sources. So, again, you want to find those blankets, find those extra layers of clothing now. You know, it could be where I am in South Charlotte. This isn't going to be too much of a problem. But north of here, as we've been talking about, that I-40 corridor uh, all the way to the Tennessee mountains, all the way up uh, to the Virginia border is where a lot of those impacts are going to be. We will have our Carolina Weather Net, our nonstop streaming channel, completely free tomorrow, so you can tune in to track the weather. It remains in early access testing, typically reserved for our Patreon supporters, but because of tomorrow's severe weather threat, we'll have that opened to you so you can check in on the conditions across the Carolinas at any time. We actually also activated the channel earlier in the week when we found ourselves doing severe weather coverage for Brunswick, Columbus counties, along the coastal areas of North Carolina, just outside the Wilmington area. What we didn't know until after the fact was that we were tracking a EF3 tornado. This is a absolute monster of a tornado that uh, impacted that area and unfortunately did result in some deaths two or three, if I'm not mistaken, as well as 10 injuries. We've got some new video today when North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper uh, visited the uh, community's hardest hit. And I want to allow uh, the uh, the panel some time to, uh, to talk about this because this in and of itself would be a, a very big news story for us here in the Carolinas and on this show. Uh, and it's it just, and yet, uh, unfortunately, another piece of a very busy uh, weather week that has been playing out. But you can see here the uh, communities still trying to, uh, to clean up after this storm rolled on through. Let's, uh, let me pop up again for you if I can, and I'm going to ask our, our group to kind of weigh in and on a well too, is, you know, we look at radar scope uh, imagery from that night. You can see it there on the right-hand side of your screen, the velocity, the measuring of the winds in the atmosphere circling here where the tornado crosses Highway 17, where some of this video was captured just outside Ocean aisle and then continues uh, for about 25 miles, uh, going 45, 50 miles an hour at times, almost trying to outrun the polygon, the weather service, uh, working very hard to keep this very fast moving supercell inside that tornado worn polygon to try to give people as much lead time as possible. Brad, let me bring you back in. I know you had just finished the 11 o'clock news, but I saw you tweeting about this. What were you thinking at 1145 at night when you were looking at this on radar? So I had seen that storm offshore in the special marine morning because I was impressed with the signature, but wasn't thinking much about it. Went on to <laughs> finishing up some emails and um, I have the guy, I have all alerts turned on for North and South Carolina. So I heard the tornado warning pop up on my computer and I looked down and I was like, holy cow. Um, right away, I was like, I could see the debris signature and I knew it was bad. Um, and then immediately with some of my emergency manager contacts started getting messages about you know, um, some serious damage and, you know, um, re- requests for re- search and rescue crew. So I knew it was pretty bad. And when I looked, 
quickly at the map. Um, I knew that area quite well. I actually played that golf course several times, Tiger's Eyes right there, uh, Ocean Isle. It's a beautiful area. So I'm very familiar with that. And I knew uh, hearing the damage reports, those weren't small homes. Um, you know, those were well-built, I wouldn't say mansions. Those are, those are nice houses. So for those to be leveled and destroyed, I knew it was a significant hurricane, uh, hurricane tornado. <laughs> I'm thinking of hurricane because that area was you know, hurt by uh, Isaias as well, almost the exact same location. But what was interesting is, you know, that was EF3. That's the only second EF3 I could find in the database in the month of February in North Carolina's history. The other one was in 1971. So EF3 tornado in the month of February is incredibly rare. Uh, for North Carolina and in that area period, any time of the year. Brad, yeah, I, I have oh, to echo. Ahead, I, I was, a, I, I was going to say I was asleep when this happened. I, when I woke up in the morning, I saw your, your text in our internal chat, but along with Brad, I, I, I played golf at this golf course that, that actually got hit and um, vacation, you know, there a lot. And uh, like Brad said, it, it's it's a, a, com- a well-built community. I mean, these these homes were well-built. And to see the video of just some of these just being completely demolished just shows you the, the sheer size and, and strength of this tornado. And, you know, it, it was a nocturnal tornado again, you know, at 1145 on a February evening, something you just don't really anticipate. So um, the loss of life is, is never good. And uh, just our thoughts and prayers go out to those folks. But just seeing some of the damage out there, uh, you could tell it, it was a pretty massive tornado. Yeah, I'm like you, Scotty. I slept through this too. And the very next morning, I woke up and saw that uh, there had been a big tornado uh, from, from uh, browsing through Twitter. And so I went and downloaded the old uh, the radar scans from the archive uh, and went to look at what the radar looked like. And when I saw that debris signature, I thought, oh, my God, that had to have been a really bad tornado. Debris was lofted up to something like 22,000 feet. Is that right? Um, 22, 25. It was up there. It got sucked yeah. right up into the updraft. It was pretty impressive. Right. Yeah. When you see debris lofted that high, you know, you're dealing with a pretty substantial tornado. And in this case, at EF3, and that's what it looked like. It could have been just looking at the radar. Yeah, that was- that's a tough warning scenario. Um, the Weather Service, you know, did the best job they could. But nocturnal February, um, I think that these coastal communities have it tough because I was talking to another group about this today. This, the special marine warnings we're talking about water spouts and rotation. But who on the coast is looking at special marine warnings off the coast? If that was a polygon for a severe thunderstorm warning or a tornado warning to a county to your south and east, you're probably a little bit more aware. But when they're special marine warnings, you're probably not even thinking twice about it. Right. And even if it, even if there is a water spout, you think, oh, well, it's going to last 100 yards inland at most. But this is a little different. This was, uh, I think this was supercellular in nature. And, and when you get that kind of situation, you get a water spout from that. It's, it's going to keep going in but a long way sometimes. I remember when we were streaming this, just looking at it going, this is, this is textbook. This is, you could see yeah. the hook echo. You, you could see it on velocity. Right. 160 mile per hour winds. Christian Morgan, WFMY in Greensboro, I want to ask you uh, for your advice for folks who hopefully never find themselves in this situation. But if you find yourself in any tornado polygon, what do you do, especially if it's midnight? Yeah, you know, guys, I was um, kind of watching this all unfold, kind of like Frank said, you know, I just happened to log on to Twitter um, to just kind of see what folks were saying and kind of check out some, some different things about our upcoming storm this week. And I noticed all of these all of these radar scans and started to notice and, and realize that you know we were dealing with something pretty serious down uh, down in the in the coastal region of North Carolina there. Um, and what I was saying on on Twitter, you know, I wasn't an, an active meteorologist following along in those areas, but I was saying, you know, if you have family and you have friends that you know in this area, who cares if you got to wake them up? Call them until they wake up and let them know what is going on. You know that they have to find somewhere safe to get. Um, and really, you know, in this in this situation, you know, we say it all the time and it kind of gets kind of gets drowned out and people kind of put it in the back of their minds. But really, you got to find that most inner room in your home. If you have a basement, that's the safest thing to do away from doors and windows. And people say, you know, well, I'm in the next room over. Is that OK? And I'm in, I'm in the closet in the bedroom that, you know, has windows in it. No, it's not OK, because especially in a situation like this with such a dangerous tornado. I mean, we see picture after picture after picture of whether it's 
branches or whether it's beams from houses flying around, they can pierce right through walls and right through doors and they can come into those into those rooms and into those areas. So the most inner room in your home, away from doors and windows, if you have a basement, that's the best. You know, and one thing that we always try to say on the air in a tornado warning situation is take shoes with you, take a helmet with you. And people think that sounds crazy at first, but if something comes through the door or something comes through the wall, if you've got a helmet on, it's just, just like riding a bike. If you fall off and you have a helmet on, you're going to be that much more protected. And shoes, you know, people say, well, I'm in the home. Well, if you have debris in the next room over and you come out to survey that once things are over, there's no telling what you could step on. So a helmet, um, glasses, safety goggles, shoes, if you have those things and take them with you, you're that much more prepared and that's that much more ready in a situation like that. Hey, Christian, um, I think you guys did the story today. Wasn't there someone whose home was damaged by the ice storm and yeah. went down to their beach house because of the damage and then was impacted by the tornado? Yeah, that that is a series of, of really bad luck. You know, they left here. Their home was damaged on Saturday with the ice. And so they went to their beach house. I think actually, I think they left earlier this week to kind of get away while, clear, while crews were cleaning up their yard and then found themselves in that situation the other night and it's like, what do you do at that point? And I think if I remember right, I, I didn't watch the story in full detail yet, but if I remember right, I still think some of the family was either in route or was going to be traveling down to the beach house later. Um, and so they had a really hard time getting in contact with those folks. And that, of course, you know, is scary in itself when you're in one place going somewhere to be safe and your other family and your other party there knows what's happening and they can't get a hold of you. It's just a, it's really, really sad. That is absolutely incredible. That story had another thing uh, worth escaped. mentioning. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, another thing worth mentioning with all the Christian said earlier. Uh, do these things that you can do in advance. You know, the where, decide where to go when the sky's blue. Make the plans on that day. Share them with your family. Make sure everyone knows where to go, so that when the tornado warning is issued, you can just do that and not have to think about what to do. You just do what you've decided to do, and it saves you time. Uh, that way, if you don't get a lot of lead time, and sometimes you don't, then you know what to do, and you can do it and get there faster, and having less lead time matters less. Yeah, that lead time is is so critical, and the weather service does as best of a job as they can, and it's frankly a really good job, and it's improving each and every year to give people more and more lead time. But, you know, an excellent amount of lead time is, what, guys, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, and in this case, it might have been even less because of how fast this cell was moving. Yeah, and another thing, I'm just looking, reviewing the radar again right now, and I just noticed why this was kind of sneaky. I understand why it is. The the radar near Shalot, it looks like it has some obstructions to the radar beam to the southwest. Mm -hmm. And that was clouding what was going on with this storm. And it made it that much more difficult for the weather service to warn because it was kind of in a dead spot for radar. And yeah, it just approached from the southwest. And, and the thing was over Sunset Beach before they realized what was going on, I think. Yeah, I'll just do a shameless plug here. If you're interested in this, we're going to do a, a show with this with Gannon Medwick. Um, he had a really good write up today about the situation. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of weird things going on at, at that at that time. So, sorry about that shameless plug, James. Back to no, you. no. I'm glad I'm glad you actually. That's more late breaking news because I know you had reached out to him there at WECT uh, to find out if he would come on and, and talk to us. So, I think I think you know those are all valid points. And Frank brought something up that I think in hindsight. Uh, more people are learning about. I think the folks in that area may have already known about it. Um, you know, so I think there is some hindsight review analysis going on. I, I will say one of the things that I think was a silver lining saving grace is that this supercell, this tornado, passed just to the side of the radar. If it had gone over the radar, we could have lost eyes on the whole cell for the rest of the night, which I think would have introduced a whole other level of, of an issue um certainly yeah just under three Carolina miles if it had been just under three miles farther east yeah so uh we mentioned that uh, governor roy cooper went down to survey the damage today and to meet with folks who were impacted by this 
tornado firsthand. And among some of the video that was fed back, we have about two or three minutes here where the governor is talking to two homeowners who were inside of their home when this tornado approached. You're going to hear them talk about the amount of lead time they had or what frankly was a very small amount of awareness and lead time for them by the time they realized something was wrong and what position that left them in and and how they ultimately rode this storm out inside of their home it's it's a miracle it's miraculous it's heartbreaking it's inspirational it's a whole palette of emotions uh now because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic the microphones are a little bit further away than they would be ideally and i'm letting you know that because the first rule of broadcast is always good audio and you can hear them here but especially if you're listening on our podcast i want you to just stick this out with us and take a listen to the conversation the governor uh, is having here with these homeowners it's an incredible story they want to invade your space here, but I thought I'd just come over and just see things. I'm doing okay. How are you guys doing? We're alive. The fact that we're alive is a big positive. I know that's something to be thankful for these days. Yep. So we're we're thinking about you and hope that that everything can be put back together. So sorry about the loss of life here. Yeah. Tragic. That's our greatest fortune. That was not us. This is sticks and bread. Nice to meet you. So is this your house? Yeah. And so were you guys home? Oh, yeah. We were in the home of the curve. So what happened? How, how did you guys, where I, were you? I was, in, I was in bed and I heard the hail and at that point I said it's time to get up. And by the time I turned my back, the doors came in and hit me in the back and knocked me down to the, to the sofa, to the, uh, to the bed. And that's probably the only thing that helped me survive being knocked down so oh yeah well yeah you heard the, the hail the, the amount of time between the hail hitting and the, the noise of the wind was instantaneous there was no i couldn't gap. tell you what i was on the living room sofa and as soon as the hail cracked the first piece of glass i ducked and the whole back of the house flew in and i went for a ride fortunately so where how, how far were you carried where were you I was in the great room, the entire back of the house blew in, this wall here, I'm on the other side of it, very under everything else, and I'm sure the only thing that saved my life is our porch furniture is teak, and the one chair blew in on me like a TP tent, so everything falling and throwing landed on that and not directly on me, and I swear that's the only reason I'm here. That is amazing. Were either of you injured? Minor. Minor scratches. I had to get a, few, get a couple of ish, stitches. But considering, no, is the answer. <laughs> Bumps and bruises by comparison. Well, you have an amazing attitude about all of this. It's got to be devastating to lose your home like this. It's, uh, it's, it's devastating, but you got to maintain a positive attitude. So we're here. We, we have something to deal with. There are others across the street and across the golf course that don't have that good fortune. Do you have a place to stay? We do. Yes. The, the neighbors here, our families, the generous, phenomenal offers have been endless. So. Yeah, we have a place to stay. I, there are several people that had empty homes because they're not full-time residents. They offer the homes to us. We have, I've had offers from New Jersey to Florida to help. So we've been fortunate. Absolutely an incredible story. Uh, those folks, as they expressed, lucky to be alive. Again, two fatalities, 10 injuries, and as you can see, multiple homes damaged by this EF3 tornado there in Brunswick County, North Carolina. We will have more, as Scotty mentioned, on uh, future shows here on the Carolina Weather Group, uh, talking more about an event that uh, is clearly going to be now marked on our calendars and our history books. 160 mile-per-hour winds. That is practically unheard of in this part of the country we're going to go ahead now and you know, James, uh, go ahead scotty so just a the strongest tornado in north in north carolina was ef4 and that was just in cleveland in catawba county back in 1989 and i, I believe it was like 175 180 mile per hour winds so, i mean this wasn't this wasn't far from an ef4 and in, in, in yep. february just crazy yeah you're right when we say ef3 that's incredible in and of itself but it was knocking on the door of being an EF4. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, as you're preparing your emergency kits tonight to deal with winter weather, take a survey of what you might need for the spring when hazards turn from cold winter weather to severe weather. Uh, you know, we, we had this tornado this week. So this severe weather threat is, is already increasing. And you'll remember just a year ago, we were sitting here talking about tornadoes, dozens of them across the Carolinas in early February. So it's, it's hard to imagine, but uh, we could very quickly turn from winter into spring before you know it. Let's talk a little bit more about that winter as we look to wrap up this special live edition of the Carolina Weather Group. A reminder, if you are just joining us, we do have a winter weather event that is now bearing down on the Carolinas. We got the first report of frozen precipitation during this broadcast, moving into uh, the uh, western North Carolina mountains, just coming across the, uh, the border. You can see on your screen right now, in pink, winter storm warnings that go until 7 o'clock from the Tennessee border to the Virginia border, from as uh, f far west again as that state line and as far east as Durham. Now in Raleigh, in Charlotte, even in Greenville, South Carolina, we have a winter weather advisory. Uh, we want to remind you, it goes winter weather watch. We had those yesterday. Those are gone now. The upgrade to that is winter weather advisory, meaning we're getting some impacts from winter weather and a winter storm warning means we're getting a lot of impacts from weather. Let's recap those impacts that we can expect tomorrow morning across the Carolinas, starting with Jordan, who's going to take a look at the uh, central portion of the Carolinas for us. Hi again, Jordan. Hey, James. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, we're uh, just a few hours away from starting to see uh, some of the precipitation move in uh, to central parts of North Carolina. Um, for the triad area, we're expecting anywhere from a quarter to perhaps a half an inch or possibly more, uh, depending on, you know, which weather model you look at. We're going to be transitioning from looking at weather models to now casting very soon now. Um, and uh, if you're moving eastward towards the triangle, the impacts are going to be somewhat less, although we're still going to see somewhere around a tenth of an inch or so, I would say, on average. So uh, across central North Carolina, hunker down. This is going to be a pretty significant event considering we just came off of one last weekend. Uh, so um, so you know, make sure you're prepared for this. Um, and I'll toss it over to Scotty for a look at the uh, western North Carolina. Yeah, thank you for that, Jordan. Uh, winter storm warnings up for the foothills in western Piedmont of North Carolina. Uh, right now, it looks like anywhere between two-tenths of an inch to uh, up to four-tenths to a half an inch of ice, uh, just depending on where you are, where those colder spots are. I was just quickly looking uh, at some of the, uh, the METARs out there and uh, looking at the wet bulb effect, which is a temperature and humidity. That's kind of like our uh, once the precipitation uh, starts, we, we call that uh, wet bulbing or dynamic cooling. It kind of gives you an idea of where the temperature is going to bottom out at. And anywhere between Morganton, Hickory, Lenore, Taylorsville, Statesville, it's anywhere between uh, uh, 29.8 degrees to 31.2 degrees. So uh, if that was to verify, we're going to see some ice develop here on the Interstate 40 corridor. Again, uh, slick travel throughout the uh, morning into the uh, up to about midday and then we should start to see temperatures slowly move above freezing but again uh, main concern would be ice accumulation and trees and on power lines so expect to see some power outages elevated road surfaces um, also be icy hopefully the main roads main roads will stay wet but we'll watch it uh, like jordan said it's now now casting uh, we've done all the forecasting we can do uh, precipitation starting to move into the area so we will see what happens and uh, we'll keep you updated here in the foothills so with that, I'm going to toss it over to Evan Fisher, who is over in Buncombe County in the mountains. So, Evan, uh, what's it look like for you? Thank you, Scotty. Uh, so, our icing events in the Asheville area in western North Carolina can be a bit finicky. Uh, this event is certainly one of those. Uh, in the Asheville area, we're currently thinking, based on North uh, the NWS forecast, uh, 0.1 to 0.25 inches, so just a tenth to a quarter of an inch of ice in the Asheville proper area. Maybe some portions of central Buncombe County that see even less than that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, just climatologically speaking, we oftentimes struggle to get icing here in the French Broad Valley. Further to the southwest, places like Andrews, Franklin, North Carolina, 
Uh, you guys might be looking at a, a trace of ice, but no real impacts there. Uh, Henderson County, Transylvania County, a quarter to half an inch ice. You guys are really going to get pounded. Uh, and there's really going to be that, that quarter to half inch stretch that's going to go all the way up the Blue Ridge Escarpment up to the high country. And some portions of the high country up near Boone could see up to half an inch ice, uh, along with some of those areas further to, e to the east that Jordan and Scotty have mentioned. Um, so nonetheless, everywhere except for southwestern North Carolina uh, there is going to have uh, travel impacts in the morning. So stay off the roads if you can. Thank you, guys. Uh, and uh, here in Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, right along the state line, we do have winter weather advisories up because we could get a glazing of ice, just a minimum amount, not even measurable, but it could be enough to make elevated surfaces like bridges uh, slippery. And so hopefully, hopefully in this virtual world, you have an opportunity to uh, work from home tomorrow and uh, just stay on put and uh, stay warm. And uh, Frank mentioned it earlier on, you might not be getting winter weather, but you could be getting severe weather along the coast tomorrow, a marginal risk, tier one out of five, a slight risk, tier two out of five, as you make your way down towards uh, Georgia and Savannah there. And so we could be watching for some thunderstorms, some damaging wind and some severe storms. It could be a very uh, busy uh, day across the uh, Carolinas tomorrow, which again, a reminder that our Carolina WeatherNet, our experimental nonstop channel will be free tomorrow. It's normally reserved for our Patreon supporters in its early testing phases, but you will find that streaming tomorrow on YouTube so that you can uh, Watch real-time, current, live weather conditions across the Carolinas while hopefully being entertained by some of the best of the Carolina Weather Group. That does it for this version of the Carolina Weather Group. Thank you for joining us for this live special edition on this February 17th, 2021. I'm James Briarton in Charlotte. On behalf of all our guests and our panel, thanks so much for trusting us to uh, forecast for you and bring you up to speed on this very, very busy weather week here in the Carolinas. We'll see you back here again real soon.